Chapter 4 The Tomb Key The Doctrine of Christ Everything goes dark when you turn the key, but it's a different kind of dark. The kind of dark you felt in the void before the world was made. This is the dark you feel right before morning dawns. The kind that seems to be waiting for sunlight to conquer it. And after a while, the soft light of day finally breaks in, allowing you to see the surroundings you've only been able to smell and touch thus far. Even with the thin light, you don't know where you are. You can't recognize anything. There is no sky above or grass below. Instead, stone and earth border you on every side, except behind you, where the sun sneaks in. There you see the massive circle of rock that someone or something has somehow rolled away from your chamber's man-carved entryway. Outside the stone door is a garden choked with weeds and thorns, and the familiar sounds of a city starting its hectic and hurried day outside the garden's gates. But it's not what is outside your stone door that steals your interest. It's what you find inside. Against one of the walls lies a pile of linen cloth, strong with the smell of oil and spices. Then the wise and familiar voice echoes off the stone walls surrounding you. The person of Christ, Christ the death killer. Your hope hinges on another. Eden taught you that you need someone to take your poison. Eden taught you that you cannot save yourself. Those drowning in the ocean don't throw themselves life preservers. Those whose hearts stop beating can't make their hearts beat again on their own. So it is with sin. You can't rescue yourself from your sin because with sin, you aren't just in danger of dying you're already spiritually dead. Sinners are like prisoners on death row. The king's just and right court has already declared their death sentences. Sinners are just waiting for the verdict to be carried out. You can try and try to make your world right. You can run from your sins and your problems, but no matter how hard you try and no matter how hard you run, they will still be there. That's why you are standing in a tomb right now. This is where your sin finally catches up with you. A pitch black grave is where everyone's story ends. The graveyard waits for everyone, including you. And death always delivers because death always gets his man or his woman or his boy or his girl. Because death has a secret. He has power over everyone because everyone is a sinner except for one, this one, this one whose tomb you stand in right now, he is different. Have you seen it? Have you seen what is different about his tomb? His tomb is empty. His tomb is open. That is because he is the death killer. This is his promise and his name, but you may know him by one of his many other names. Some call him the Son of God in order to announce his divine other-than-ness and distinction from the world. He calls himself the Son of Man so he could freely define himself through his life, teachings, and work during his life on earth. He also goes by Lord, a title reserved for God alone 
Others simply know him as the Christ, the Messiah, the one anointed or christened to rescue humanity from sin and death. Others call him by his name, Jesus, quietly declaring that he will save his people from their sins every time they speak this name, Matthew 1.21. Now the death killer has many other names, but if you stop to combine the truth contained just in these, you have a beautiful mosaic of Christ's full spectrum beauty and work. The death killer is more than you could ever imagine because you need him to do the unimaginable for you. Before the world began. Just think about how his story starts. What happens when you think about the sun's beginning? Do visions of shepherds, angels, wise men, and mangers fill your head? If so, you have to think bigger. His story is bigger than Christmas. In fact, it's too big to have a start at all. The death killer has always been. He didn't begin that night outside an ancient inn in Bethlehem. He didn't even begin before that. No, he was and is and will be eternally with the Father and the Spirit because he is God. He is the divine son, one of the who's in the three-in-one God. He has always existed because existing is who God is and what God does. The death killer takes on flesh. But God doesn't just make the world, he saves it. It's in God's rescue plan that we see the death killer's sun-specific beauty. You see, the sun doesn't just help put the rescue mission together. The sun actually is the rescue mission. He left the comforts of heaven because the Father sent him to invade his creation to help his people out of the grave and back to God. That is why Christmas is more than wrapping paper and stockings hung by the chimney with care. It is the celebration of the incarnation. It's when the incredible became the unfathomable. The other than God becomes God in the flesh to be God with us. The divine son becomes the God man. The one who always was, is, and will be was born to a woman because the Holy Spirit mysteriously made it so. The baby sleeping in the manger, the one under the watchful eyes of his virgin mother, Mary, and earthly father, Joseph, created the world he was just born into. The wood for his manger, his. The animals in the field around him, his. The parents, who would protect him and provide for him? His. The Creator did the unthinkable. He became a part of his creation for sinners like you. This is why you have to think bigger when you think about the death killer. His is a complex beauty. His light glimmers in Bethlehem, shines in Nazareth, appears extinguished on Calvary, but outshines the sun when he steps out of the tomb, you stand in now. The death killer is so important and so unique because he is somehow at 
the same time like you and different from you. Or to put it another way, Jesus is at the same time fully man and fully God. Jesus is perfectly human. The Word became flesh. He, like you, has a human body. He was born and he grew up. He felt tired like you, was thirsty and hungry like you. He felt weak like you, and he even died like you will one day. He grew in wisdom and knowledge and even has feelings like you. He marveled, he knew sorrow, he was deeply moved, and he was troubled. Jesus even cried like you when he saw the effects of Adam's curse in his world. Now this may seem strange. How can this be true when you don't know any other people like Jesus? In a way, the question answers itself. It is true because there is no one else like him. To deal with sin and death, you need a man who is like you in every way, except he must be perfect. You need to know that Christ is perfectly human. He is like you in every way, yet without sin. In fact, Jesus is more human than you are. He is like Adam, but better. He is sinless and never sins. This is one of the reasons it's so hard to know the death killer. You've only known a sin-wrecked world, and you just think the world is supposed to be like this. You think that death is natural, tears are normal, and giving into temptation is just the way life goes. Like a child who's lived all her life underground would have no idea what to do with the sun, forest, or ocean. Sinners have a hard time understanding a sinless Jesus. That's why, if you really take time to read his book and hear his speech, Jesus's life and teaching are so shocking. It can even make you uncomfortable. His life and words teach us that the world isn't the way it's supposed to be and that he offers you a better path. He offers you his kingdom, the right side up world in the middle of our upside down world. But to sinners ears, the king and his kingdom sound just the opposite. So the world rejects him and his enemies seek to silence him. Many thought they could do this to Jesus. They thought they could make him go away because they thought he was only a man. And if he were, then silencing him might have been an option. But the empty tomb you stand in teaches you that the death killer is more than just a man. He is God with you. In fact, Jesus' divine other than this colors all of his earthly life and work. Like his father, Jesus knows everything, is everywhere, finds all his life in himself, rules over creation, always existed, and is the creator of all things. He remains perfectly holy, answers his followers' prayers, performs miracles, fulfills prophecy, forgives sins, receives worship, and as you see in this empty tomb, defeats death, one of your biggest enemies. This is his testimony. 
the death killer is the God-man. He is the Son of God and Jesus of Nazareth. He is bigger, more perfect, and more unique than you can even imagine. And yet, like the bustling city streets right outside his tomb, the world passes by day after day, not even giving the most important person this world has ever known a second thought. The work of Christ, the death killer's actions. Do not be like the world. Do not ignore the death killer. Think hard about who he is. To do this, just remember that if you really want to understand who the God-man is, you have to understand why God became man in the first place. To know Jesus is to know his mission. To know his mission is to know Jesus. Who Jesus is and what he does are inseparable. So to know him well, for him to be the one who kills death for you, think hard about the three important acts that make up his divine drama. Act one, the death killer dies on a cross. First, why did the death killer invade his creation? He tells us himself when he says that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. God became man to trade places with sinners. Sinners deserve death and judgment because of how they've betrayed and double-crossed the king. Yet this is the beauty of the gospel. That same other than king you betrayed became the near you king to rescue sinners like you from their sin. That means the death killer came to die for his enemies. The sinless one piled up all his people's sins on his back and carried them up the cross. The very rebels he came to save hammered nails into his hands and feet, pushed a thorny crown onto his head, and suspended him between heaven and earth on two wooden beams. Why did the Son of God allow this to take place? Because Jesus came to defeat sin, death, and the serpent at their own game. He came to make things right again by having the greatest wrong in the history of the world committed against him. The death killer came to deal once and for all with sin and death so that his people might have freedom and eternal life. And he did all of this for you by becoming your stand-in. Imagine your older brother telling your mom and dad that he would be glad to be grounded instead of you right after you disrespected and lied to them. It's hard to imagine your brother, or anyone for that matter, ever doing that for you, isn't it? Now imagine the king of the cosmos doing that for all the sins that image bearers like you ever committed against him. It's almost too wonderful and too big and too much. But that is exactly how the king's love always is. God came down to be pierced for your transgression. He came down to be crushed for your iniquities. Your punishment was poured out on him so that his wounds might heal you. When you should be facing the punishment for your sins, he has already taken that punishment himself on the cross. If he is your 
death killer. All of this is yours if God is your king. If he's not, well then, you face this punishment on your own for all eternity. Act two, the death killer kills death. Now, why did the death killer not stay in the grave? Because Christ's resurrection, his being raised to life after death, shows you that God's rescue plan really worked. Without the resurrection, sin and death still control you. They are like a virus that has no earthly cure. Jesus, though, is the God-man who became the antidote for your disease. He swallowed your virus, suffered its consequences, and showed the world that your disease has no power over him. That is the picture of the resurrection. Christ takes on your sin, suffered sin's death, and killed death's power with his resurrection. God can be your king because Jesus stepped out of his tomb. So you must remember that while the death killer died for sinners, he was raised from the dead for them too. This is his victory song. The empty tomb shouts that Jesus is your rescuer. It announces that Christ's death really did make a way out of the grave and into eternal life with the king. Because sin could not hold him, death had no power over him. In the resurrection, God's right side up kingdom begins to fix the upside down world we currently know and live in. The power of God's saving death is fueled by the power of Christ's resurrected life. The empty tomb is the open doorway to the very real, very eternal, better than this world life. Christ being risen from the dead means the king has finally and fully taken away death's sting for those who belong to his kingdom. Do you remember? Your hope hinges on another. That hope blossomed with every step Jesus took outside of his tomb. And that hope continues to spread through those who have made his resurrection their own. Act three, the death killer takes his rightful place. I know what you're thinking. You want to know where the death killer is now, don't you? The answer to that lies in two returns. First, the son returned or ascended to the father. After 40 days of ministry and teaching, the resurrected Jesus took his rightful place at the right hand of his father. Christ's earthly work connects heaven and earth. The one who suffered on earth now has all rule, power, authority, and dominion forever given to him in heaven. This is why the death killer's return to the heavenly throne room doesn't mean his earthly work is done. No, he continues to work for those he came to rescue. Notice what his return to heaven means. Christ brought humanity into the heavenly places. Don't miss this. Christ didn't stop being human in the resurrection and the ascension. Instead, he made humanity right and demonstrated that you, an image bearer, are welcome before the king. That is, if you belong to the death killer. This leads to another work in his ascension. The death killer now stands before the father, pleading your case based on the merits of his own death and resurrection. If you are his, 
He stands up against any blame the world or the serpent throws at you. If you are His, the death killer is praying for you before His Father's throne. But He never promised to remain in heaven. This is why there is a second return, or what those in your world call the second coming. The death killer pledges to come back to earth again to complete all of his promises. Even though Christ defeated sin and death, you still face a world filled with sin and death, don't you? This is not because his work didn't work, but because it's actually a gift. The time between his ascension and his second coming allows rebels time to return to their rightful king. In his return to earth, the death killer will deal with sin, death, and the serpent once and for all. He will finally punish all his enemies, including every man, woman, boy, and girl who rejected him as the true king. This is how he makes all things right. His second coming puts everything back into its proper orbit, rings the sadness out of the world, unites heaven with earth, and places the king's throne at the center of this world made new. This promise, like a hymn line, pulls the threads of Christ's earlier cross, resurrection, and ascension work together with the hope of Christ's future work. This one, this Lord, Son of God, Son of Man, this Christ Jesus, this death killer, brings eternity past together with eternity future. He brings God to man, man to God, Christmas to Easter, the beginning to the end. And if he is your king, he unites you to himself. The question remains, where do you place your hope? Does it rest in the death killer making a way back to the king? There is only one way to find out. Turn the key to see what the death killer has done for you.